And I stopped using, using uh, Truth Social for a little while. People were getting very angry about my guests, the way they talked about Donald Trump, blah, blah, blah. There is a USA Today poll out today. I'm not sure how, how um, accurate USA Today polls are. I think they're not very accurate, not very accurate at all. But for what it's worth, in today's polling, Ron DeSantis is hammering Donald Trump. 56% would vote for Ron DeSantis if the primary was today, 33% Donald Trump. And all kinds of other measures I asked about, and it, um, this poll, specifically USA Today, has Ron DeSantis hammering Donald Trump. And, of course, MSNBC, that's all they're talking about all morning long because they hate Donald Trump, and quite frankly, they hate America, even my dear friend Mike Barnacle. Anyway, my next guest is a CNBC stalwart, one of the greatest economic minds in the history of America, great TV guy, and most importantly, putting me in his new movie, The Tank Job, which we start shooting, I think, February in Canada. Here he is, my dear friend Ronnie Insana. Good morning, Ronnie. Good morning, and, and thanks for that lovely walk-up. And, and MSNBC folks do not hate America. Oh, they hate him. Oh, oh, they hate it in the worst way. No, 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 no. They hate it. No, they do. They hate it. Okay. Joe and Mika hate it. Barnacle hates it. Joy Reid's a racist. Don't get me started here, Ronnie. I, I just oh put John. I love please, you to death. Please, please, decide. Oh, my God. What? It's early. It's early. I know. But you have to, Ron, you have to hear these things. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I know you work at CNBC. There are horrible people there, too. But I work at MSNBC, too. Oh, my God. Don't tell anybody that. I wouldn't brag about I, that. I would not tell anybody, but I'm very proud to work for the NBC. Oh, will you stop Family it? Family of Network. Oh, my God. Been there for 31 years. Yes, because you're a good man and a smart guy, and you were there before these hateful Americans showed up. It's not your <laughs> fault that they hired all these hateful Americans. You're a great American. But, my I, God, I, don't I, tell me they don't hate America. Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. I don't. This, this, I think this is what's wrong with I'll tell you, this guy, Willie Geis, he's another punk. Can't stand him. I, Willie's a perfectly good guy. He's a jerk-off, Ron. He's a jerk-off. <laughs> yes, he is. But I love you. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> I, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for ruining most of the, my, the remaining moments of my oh, career. I really fine, appreciate that. Fine. Yeah, that's great. You used to say the same things about Imus all those years, right? Same thing, right? Now, here I come. I'm no better. Um, let me ask you about this. <laughs> I'll give you that, yeah. <laughs> the Sam Bankman freed. Now, my, I made the point early on that for most Americans that get up nine to five, make about $30,000 a year, they don't care about this. Is the what is income. How ahead. much is 63, it? 63000 Is that what it's up to, really? The median income, yeah. No kidding. All right, well, that's yeah. because New York and California skews that thing. Most Probably. of the country can't afford to, to, to go to McDonald's more than twice a week. So they don't care about Sam Bankman free. They can't relate to millions of dollars, billions of dollars, Bernie Madoff, uh, you know, Jordan Belfort. Any of these guys, they can't relate. Quite frankly, either can I. So when I see these stories, I realize how horrible they are and how many people get screwed. I mean, people killed themselves, literally, after Bernie Madoff did what he did. But I don't know much about it because it's not in my world. Tell us about Sam Bankman-Fried, who he worked for, and what he did. Okay, so he didn't work for anyone. He had his own uh, a couple of firms that he controlled. One was called FTX. You may have seen that on uh, baseball umpire uniforms or a couple of stadiums in Miami. Uh, it was a cryptocurrency exchange, the way the New York Stock Exchange trades equities or a variety of other exchanges trade bonds or commodities. He traded cryptocurrencies. Now, granted, there are vast, vast differences 
among these types of exchanges. This was wildly unregulated. It was connected to a hedge fund that he controlled. And it appears, at least certainly from all the allegations leveled against him, that he – it was a very – a deceptively simple case of fraud where he used customer dollars to either make highly speculative bets in his hedge fund, moving them from the exchange to the hedge fund he controlled, or on personal uh, purchases like a massive – uh, compound to live in in the Bahamas, among other things that he apparently bought or other debts that he paid the money with. So it, it's really. By the way, you conveniently left out. Government. You conveniently left out all the major donations he made to Joe Biden uh, and the just, Democrat Party. I think. Yeah. And and Repub- he said he admitted himself that he made it. He um, donated as much to Republicans through dark pools as he did to Democrats. He just didn't want that to be recognized in the uh, in the press. Okay, so when they talk about the, I guess, the similarities, Ron, between him and Bernie Madoff or Jordan Belfort, who ended up on Fox News last night, I don't know how, but he does. Uh, Tell me the similarities and maybe the differences, too. Well, first of all, I mean, they're all sociopaths, right? I mean, at the end of the day, uh, um, when when you're taking money from people uh, and presumably putting it in your care for safekeeping or to grow it for whatever you know, goals they may have and using it, you know, either to to increase your own wealth or to do things like, as he suggested, uh, effective altruism that he wanted to give money away to save the world. You know, it really is all nonsense. I mean, they're just, just stealing money at the end of the day is what's happening. And at one juncture, his net worth was in excess of $20 billion. The day before FTX collapsed, he was worth $16 billion. The day after he was worth zero. FTX has, it's been at least Presumed 1 million creditors with up to $50 billion in liabilities. This is double the size of the Enron scandal. It's close to the size of the Bernie Madoff scandal, which was $65 billion. It's, it's look, I mean, and, and, you know, you talk about the tank job and, and the movie we're making, I think, now in April, but we'll talk about that offline. Um, it, every one of these individuals who scams either professionals or, or retail investors out of their money you know, is doing the same thing. We, we assigned to them a certain degree of brilliance. In this case, he was doing something that appeared to be highly complex and, you know, the future of money and all that kind of nonsense. And Elizabeth Holmes with the, you know, single drop blood test that would presumably tell you everything you needed to know about yourself. You know, it's just all fraud. And it happens repeatedly throughout financial market history. Mm-hmm. And this is the latest and maybe one of the biggest and most widespread in the sense that He's being charged with so many crimes, from money laundering to wire, uh, wire f- uh, fraud, securities fraud, uh, illegal campaign contributions. I've never seen a list this long oh my God. Uh, leveled against one individual. Yeah. And Elizabeth Holmes just got 11 years in prison, so he's facing, yeah. I don't know. I'm just, you know, I'm curious. You talked about numbers, $65 billion made off this guy in the billions. The tank job, the movie we're making, whether it's February, April, or next year, I don't care. Uh, Tito DeAngelis, when he did what he did back in 1963 with soybean oil, with salad dressing, basically, what were the numbers there? Well, he had borrowed a couple hundred million dollars from 51 different institutions. This is 1963. So, look, at the end of the day, if you were to put it in today's dollars, it would probably be about $2 billion, but it understates the impact that it had on Wall Street because two major Wall Street uh, firms which had lent him money almost went out of business. They had one of them alone at the time had $450 million worth of client assets. This is 1963. Um, it shook up the entire you know, corporate foundation of Wall Street. 
uh, affected the market greatly in the very same week that JFK was assassinated, the four days prior. And it was it was the biggest scandal on Wall Street since the 1920s. Wow. So it was and, and again, deceptively simple. He said he had a one point eight billion pounds of salad oil in storage tanks in Bayonne, New Jersey. It was mostly salt water. <laughs> salt water. So this um, this Bankman Freed said to the judge yesterday, he said, you have to understand, I'm depressed. I'm a vegan. I can't go to jail. I can't get the food. Yeah, you can go to jail. You, you, you can can't make this up. I mean, he actually thought the judge was going to be sympathetic. I Listen, you know, when, when you get these folks who do strange things like this, you know, uh, look, even some of the January 6th writers, what, what, what didn't one of them have specific dietary requests that he made to the judge while he was in prison? And, and they actually accommodated him for a brief period of time. Like I, it's all, you know, you can throw up whatever excuse you want. I interviewed years and years ago a gentleman by the name uh, now deceased, uh, Meyer Blinder, who was a penny stock fraudster, convicted of securities fraud, went to jail in the 70s, died in jail, and, you know, was arguing that he was too old to jail, go to jail. I mean, you, you know, you get these types of yeah. arguments. You know, I stole a couple hundred million dollars, just stole a couple billion dollars. But listen – you know, can you go easy on me? It's just, you know, it's, just, it's absurd. Yeah, it know? is. So for Main Street, for folks working everyday lives here in New York, how does a crime like this that Bankman Freed committed affect them? Does it affect them? Or is this basically just rich people playing with toys? Well, in a certain sense, it's the latter. Because, because the folks in the crypto world never wanted to integrate fully with the legacy financial systems that we deal with, banks and brokerage houses that have you know, long uh, respected names. They're, those firms, our big firms, never really got deeply involved in the activities of cryptocurrency exchanges. And so we don't have what we like to call systemic risk. Like the financial system's not at risk because they're not plugged into the system. Had they been, it would have been a much bigger deal for the financial markets for the economy and maybe for individuals, the individuals at risk here are those who are involved and who are speculating in cryptocurrencies or who put, you know, up to ten billion dollars of their money collectively on on FTX's exchange and then had Sam Bankman Fried, at least according to a lot of published reports, use a invisible backdoor to get the money out of FTX and into his own hedge fund. So generally speaking, because most of the crypto world is trying to exist outside the legacy financial systems, there's a lot less exposure than there would have otherwise been. Having said that, at the peak, the 12,000 cryptocurrencies that exist at one point were worth, at least theoretically, over $2 trillion. That's down to 700 and some billion now. Wow. I'm surprised it's still that high. I mean, haven't people figured out that crypto is is finished? It's over? It's done? Well, I mean, look, that's my particular perspective and i think you know the underlying blockchain technology which i think is important for uh for the financial architecture of of any system and is going to be useful in the future is 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 critical i think though that look you still got bitcoin trading at about 17,000 you still have ethereum trading at about 12 1300 and so there's money locked in there i mean these these things were at pennies when they were first developed and they've gone up a lot so there's still some wealth locked up in there whether or not they go to zero and go away is an open question but among the 12,000 cryptocurrencies that exist i would i would guess that 11,998 are going to be gone over the course of the next couple of years you know when we sat down and did the reading for your movie uh tom bergeron me and some other actors it was a great time it was great i was fascinated i guess maybe at the end if i remember correctly you can correct me but at the end uh the narrator started listing 
all of these yeah. major, major Wall Street crimes. Bernie Madoff was in there. We mentioned the movies about Tito DeAngelis. I think we mentioned Jordan Belfort. But you read off like there was like 10 or 15 of them inside that script. And I found that to be so fascinating. Where does Sam Bankman feed? Forget about the dollars because it's 2022. Where does he fall? If you got to pick five of the seven biggest scams in history, where does so he fall? Top five. Top five. Top five. Top five. Who are the other four if you had to pin them? So right Bernie now? Madoff. Um, let's see. Bernie Madoff. Uh, Elizabeth Holmes is up there just because of the, the breadth and scope of the business that she built um, with some very respectable people on the board. Uh, See, when I was going I mean, up, one of the guys I got in a lot of trouble was a guy like Michael Milken, for example, but he's not well, there. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a different kind of thing. That was an insider trading scandal um, that was largely a Wall Street affair that didn't really affect as many people. I mean, it, it, you know, depending on your point of view on this and people view Michael differently, I, I still think that he – at the very least, violated the spirit of a, a lot of laws. Listen, Ivan Boski, who was the first person to get um, in trouble because of the whole Milken, Drexel, Burnham, Lambert, Daisy Chain, as it was once called. You know, I, I remember it was <clears throat> I think it was I was just looking this up yesterday. It was November fourteenth, nineteen eighty six. It was a Friday afternoon. I was a producer and an anchor at Financial News Network at the time, and our production assistant. After the close of the market on a Friday afternoon rips this wire and, and, you know, calls out to me. She goes, is this a story? Ivan Boski settles with the SEC for a hundred million dollars. <laughs> none of us, none of us knew that he was under investigation, right? Wow. It was one of the, and they did a late dump on a Friday and we're like, and I'm thinking like, honey, what did he settle for? Like what, you know, he was this, this presumably this extremely sophisticated trader kind of who Michael uh, Douglas effectively portrayed at wall street. Oh my God. And, the great Gordon Gecko. Yeah. It was the same, same character. Right. And so, I'm like, nah, I'm not sure. And then I stopped for a second. I went to see Bill Griffith, who was on the anchor desk at the time. I'm like, Bill, you know, do we need to cover this? He's like, holy Jesus, this is like huge. I mean, it was a $100 million settlement. And we called, I think Gary Lynch was the head of enforcement at the SEC at the time. He came on and talked to us about it. And we got the story on the air that Friday afternoon. And it was a massive story. Ivan Boski was thought to be this trading genius. And instead, he was just trading tips. And was getting, you know, fed information in exchange for uh, briefcases full of cash. <laughs> so these stories just go on and on. I mean, you can go back, you know, decades, yeah. if not centuries, to find examples of, of this type of behavior. Well, this was a great conversation. Not good, great. Now I have to I apologize. Have except for the first part. I started, yes. I'm sorry about that. Eh? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I still feel the wrong? same exact way. Something about wrong? Or, I mean, no, no, no. You're edgy this morning. I'm always at you. That's why I'm number one in New York, Ron. And also, how do I get a Donna Summer walk-up song? I love her to death, but I mean, what, you know. <laughs> well, um, I would call her, but of course she's dead, Ron. She's dead, so I'm not sure how you get that. I, I have <laughs> great respect and, and admiration for her work. I just was a, you yeah. know. Those days when you used to go to Studio 54 and do coke with Ivan Boski? I, I didn't live in New York at the time. <laughs> I was in Los Angeles. Right, that's what he says. Not that he didn't do coke, by the way, but I didn't live in New York at the time. So. <laughs> I didn't live in New York. <laughs> Ron, you're brilliant. You're beautiful. I love you to pieces. And this was a, seriously, it was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Take care, man. <laughs> Take care, Ron Insano. CNBC, that's how you cover the biggest story of the day. Right there. That's how you do it.